All right. I just want to thank everybody for being with us today on our first virtual basketball coaches clinic. Uh, my name is Michael Harris, and I'd like to introduce you to our assistant men's basketball coach, David Carter. Uh, coach Carter will speak with us today on his journey to LMU. Uh, this seminar will focus on motivation, determination, and passion of basketball coaches, what it means to be a mentor and leader to athletes, and how to make the most of your opportunities as a coach. Uh, coach Carter has a rich coaching history with 12 postseason bursts and 10 conference championship teams. Coach Carter started his career at Washington as a graduate assistant before taking on assistant coaching positions at Eastern Washington, St. Mary's, Nevada, Georgia, and San Diego. Coach Carter was also the head coach at the University of Nevada for six seasons. Uh, before we hear from Coach Carter, I ask that if anyone has any questions to please ask your questions in the chat section so we can address them after Coach speaks. And as a reminder per NCAA rules, no prospects can be on this call individually or with a coach. And with that, uh, thank you. And now I'd like to introduce you to our assistant men's basketball coach, David Carter. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for introduction. Welcome everybody. Uh, glad you were able to join me today. And today I just want to talk about my journey. Uh, let's continue uh, all the way to LMU. I've been in the business for over 30 years and I know I don't look that old, I shave to keep the gray off, but uh, I've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, really want to talk about, you know, how to be a good assistant, how to uh, be prepared to be a head coach, and really just talk about uh, how I came along in the business. Uh, obviously, it's changed now um, with the climate, with uh, social media that wasn't there when I first started. But, uh, you know, first question you always want to ask yourself when you get into coaching, why are you coaching? Why do you want to coach? And I was in college in my junior year in 1988. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to coach. I didn't know how at that time. Uh, there wasn't a lot of mentors. There wasn't a lot of African-American head coaches at that time. Uh, I just knew that uh, I wanted to be a coach in some capacity. And the biggest thing for me was out of passion. You know, if you, if you get into coaching you, for money, uh, you know, some people make a lot of money. Uh, but that's not what you really want to get into it for. You know, it's the passion of the game. It's the love for the game. I was introduced to the game when I was in the fourth grade, fell in love with it, uh, played all the way through college and had some great relationships, great mentors where I played. And so just the passion for the game really brought me to coaching. Uh, another note was relationships, getting relationships with uh, a lot of people, get to know um, you know, the players that I played with, some players that I played against that are in coaching right now, you know, build those relationships. And I really was motivated by not letting basketball use me. I wanted to use basketball. Uh, at the early age, uh, we talked about that when I was in youth basketball. I had a very good coach who always talked about, you know, at that time, get a scholarship, get your degree. And I was able to get my degree in four years. I went to summer school after my freshman year, with summer school after my sophomore year. And I know me, um, I was not going to go to school without basketball. Uh, I knew that would be very difficult for me in terms of um, being motivated to get my degree. So I made every effort while I was in college to get my degree while I was playing. And that was very big for me. And I didn't use, like I said, I used basketball to get that degree. I didn't let it just use me and come out, play four years, uh, go get a job, not graduate, have to go back to summer school or take classes three or four years later. Uh, that just wasn't going to happen for me. Uh, I, I, I knew myself. 
And so I completed four years of playing basketball at St. Mary's College from 85, 89. Uh, right after that, um, I went right into grad school at the University of Washington. And doing that, I wanted to give something back to young people. Um, you know, the passion, the love for the game. Uh, I wanted to be able to go back in the community and, and look at a young man or young lady that had the same passion and the same love for the game and kind of be a role model for them. Um, you know, you talk about uh, role models and people looking up to you. Um, at the time, you don't think about those days that, you know, you're going to be a role model uh, and someone's going to look up to you. But you learn in athletics as you're playing, there's a lot of young people that look up to athletes. And so I wanted to give something back to my community, uh, back to young men and women that had a passion for the game. And the way to do that, I knew it was going to be in the coaching. And so with that said, uh, Ricky, would you put up the slide for the, for the coaching tree? So you share the screen here, and this is my coaches tree. Uh, in 1989, I graduated from St. Mary's College. I played for Lynn Nance. And Lynn Nance was kind of the head of the head of the state for my coaches tree. Uh, I played for him for three years at, at St. Mary's. Right after I graduated in 1989, he offered me a position uh, as a grad assistant uh, at the University of Washington. And I knew I was wanted to coach, but at the same time, I still had a, a burning desire to play. And so my first year at the University of Washington as a grad assistant, volunteer coach slash, um, I was motivated to be a coach, but at the same time, that desire to still play uh, was still in me. I recall um, one game we were playing UW, we were at home and we were playing uh, Oregon State. And Gary Payton's a senior. And I'm on the bench, I'm so into the game and my desire to continue to play and just being competitive. I'm sitting on the bench, I'm taking notes. I'm, my, my job was to, uh, was to see if anybody got fouls, I had to take notes on the bench. And I'm so into the game, I forget to write down certain things on the clipboard. Uh, Coach, wanted, Coach Nash wanted to know how many fouls uh, one of our players had. And I'm into the game so much at that time that when he called my name, I'm in a certain, I'm in a suit and tie, I jump up and I run to the score table because I still wanted to play. And he kind of pulled me back like, Coach, you're a coach now. You're not a player. And they kind of hit me. Reality kind of hit me like, whoa, you're right. I, I can't, I got to separate myself to be uh, a coach and not a player. So I sat back down and season went on. And after that season, after one year at UW, I decided to go back to L.A., Still wasn't sure how to get into coaching. And when I was at UW, I met Trent Johnson. Mark Fox came in right after I did in 1990. So I moved back to the LA and back home. And I recall having a conversation with my head coach, Coach West, who I played for at Crenshaw High School. And we were in a parking lot and I just got back from UW and I told him about my experience. I told him that I wanted to coach. I wanted to, uh, I, looked at him, I looked up to him. I respected what he'd done as a coach. And we're sitting in the car and I asked him, Coach, you know, how about if I just coach with you? How about if I just be your assistant? You've done a great job here. And I'll never forget what Coach West told me. He said, if you have a desire to coach at a four-year higher level, at a four-year school, junior college, you need to do that. High school will always be there for you. He said, I'm not going to hire you. I want you to go back up to the Bay Area, get your, get your uh, master's start coaching at a higher level, 
until you exhaust all your possibilities, if it doesn't work out, then you can always come back to high school. And I got in the car. I called Coach Emilio, who's a young guy in the middle. He was at Diablo Valley College at the time. Steve Coach Emilio had worked for Coach Nance on his staff at St. Mary's, who I, I played for. And I called him and said, Coach, I want to get into coaching. Uh, I don't know how to do it. Uh, I just know, I don't know where to start, but I'm moving back to the Bay Area. So I moved out to the Bay Area and started grad school. I started coaching at Diablo Valley College in 1992. It was two years later after I left UW. And I'm at grad school and I'm coaching for Coach Emilio at this time. Trent Johnson um, is at UW, Mark Fox at UW. And three years later, in 1995, I get a call on the right-hand side under Mark Fox from Steve Aggers. And this is about relationships. Steve Aggers, David Campbell, and Mark Fox were all on the same staff at Kansas State. I did not know Steve Aggers, but I played for David Campbell when I was a freshman at St. Mary's College. He was let go, and then Coach Nance staff came in as a sophomore. David Campbell called me and said, Steve Aggers just got a job at Eastern Washington University. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know I, Eastern Washington, where is that? Near Spokane, uh, right near Gonzaga. It'll be an opportunity for you to get the first Division I uh, experience. And Mark Watson called me and talked about, talked about Steve and how he's a good guy, looking for a assistant coach. Now, mind you, I'm in the Bay Area. I'm making more money working and coaching at Diablo Valley than what Steve Aggers offered me. And it goes back to passion. It's about, not about the money. I'm going to Cheney, Washington, which is 15, uh, 10 miles from Spokane, Washington, in the middle of nowhere. And I get the call, and I sit down, and I talk to Coach Emilio. I said, what do you think? It's the middle of nowhere. I make more money here. Maybe if I stay under you, uh, something else will open up. Coach said, no, you got to have the opportunity. You got to go. Talked to Coach Nance. He said the same thing. It's an opportunity for you to get in Division One." You had to take that chance because it may not come up again. So I packed my bags and I moved to Cheney, Washington. And I was making $22,000 a year. And if I didn't have the passion and love for basketball and to be a coach, I would have never left the Bay Area to go to Eastern Washington. And my relationship with Trent Johnson and, and Mark Fox, Dave Campbell, all came full circle with Steve Aggers. Worked with Steve Aggers for two years. After working with Steve, I was approached by Dave Bowinkle, whose name is underneath uh, Steve Coach Milio. Dave Bowinkle approached me two years after I was at Eastern Washington and offered me a position at St. Mary's College. I didn't know Dave Bowinkle from Adam. I had never met him. And again, relationships, uh, not burning bridge, been able to uh, cultivate uh, your relationships that you have with your coaches, your players. Steve Coach Emilio called me and said, listen, it's a great opportunity to get back into the Bay Area. Uh, it's in a better league than where you're at. It's a step up. And so I decided to get back to the Bay Area. I left Cheney, went to, went to St. Mary's at my alma mater, and coached under Dave Bowen for two years. And that, after two years, Trent Johnson, who was at Stanford, they just went to a Final Four. He applied for a job at the University of Nevada. And it's 1999. And he called me and said, if I get this job, I would like for you to come with me. Again, you're talking about this coaching tree and your relationship. It's very important to always build those 
never burn a bridge because you never know how these things are going to link, link up. And 1999, Trent Johnson offered me a position. Mark Potts came along as well. And it was Trent, Mark, and myself. And one other guy, Josh Newman. And we ran it. We were the assistant coaches. And for five years, we did a hell of a job of rebuilding that program. We went from the Big West to the WAC. Trent was a great leader. Uh, he knew the importance of recruiting, building this thing, and the branding of our name. At the time when I went to University of Nevada, we were called Reno, Nevada. And it was known for a junior college uh, pit stop. Uh, the previous coaches all went to junior college. Trent Johnson came in and started coaching, uh, recruiting high school players. And we built it from the ground up. And in five years, we were able to go to the Sweet 16, uh, Trent Johnson's last year. Trent left to go to Stanford as a head coach. Mark Fox moved up into a head coaching position for the next five years. After Mark left in five years, I was promoted as a head coach at the University of Nevada. Working with the University of Nevada, I worked with some great guys under uh, Mark Foss, Trent Johnson. I just mentioned Dietrich Taylor. He's a new, he's a head coach at Cal State Fullerton. And Kwanzaa Johnson was assistant at Tulsa, two guys that I worked with for a long time at Nevada. And when I became the head coach, I hired guys like Dennis Gates, who's now the head coach at Cleveland State, and Zach Claus, who's the head coach at University of Idaho. I was the head coach for six years at the University of uh, Nevada. Got let go away from 2009 to 2015. And got let go, and the game is very will humble you. And if you if you think that uh, you know you made it, you got your chest poked out, you you know if you're not humble in this game, this game will humble you. No matter how well you think you are, no matter uh, how high you are, it will break you back down. And being fired was probably one of the lowest points of my life. But I knew I had to get back on my feet, had to keep going. Uh, I did not want to have a bridge in my career. I wanted to always work in this business. So I got let go in 2015 in uh, March. In April, I got a call from Steve Coachamilio again. And I didn't know he was talking to Randy Bennett. Randy Bennett is the head coach at St. Mary's College. And Randy had had a sister that left. I had no idea. Um, and Dave Bobwinkle, I'm sorry, and Steve Coachamilio had called Randy and said, if you want to assist coach, I think you should talk to David Carter. I had no idea he was talking to Randy. And I'm sitting there at home one day, and Steve called me and said, listen, I think you would be a great fit at St. Mary's. Randy would like to talk to you. And so he gave me Randy's number and I called Randy and I didn't talk to Randy for like three weeks. I, I left messages and text messages. I, was, I called Steve back. I said, coach, I said, are you sure you talked to him? Because I haven't reached him in three weeks. I'm not sure if he wants me. And he said, oh no, he, he's, he's thinking about it. He's going to call you. And finally, Randy and I hooked up and we were, became uh, really good friends since then. I had known Randy. Randy was a grad assistant or assistant coach at the University of San Diego my senior year at St. Mary's. So I had known Randy uh, prior to even coaching. Um, I didn't know him well until uh, on the interview and work point for two years. And Coach Emilio had started that connection between Randy and I, and Randy offered me a position in May. And through that position, I worked for him two years and had a chance to meet Marty Clark, who was uh, really a good coach in Australia. Um, I had not had any really strong ties in Australia until I met Marty Clark through Randy Bennett. And now we have a really good relationship um, over in Australia, uh, getting players. So after working for Randy in 2015 to 2017, 
I left there to go to the University of Georgia with Mark Fox. My second time working with, with Coach Fox. And I was there from 2017 to 2018. Uh, we got let go at Georgia. And I'm at San Diego, University of San Diego from 2018 2020. And now I'm with uh, Coach Johnson at uh, LMU. You go next slide. So our network. So my networking, you know, I got Dennis, I mentioned Dennis Gates and Zach Claus who worked for me. And I'm so proud of those guys to be head coaches. But if you look at Coach Johnson and Coach Johnson and I have been knowing each other mutually through the business. When he's at Northridge, Utah, Arizona State, um, Drake, even at Marquette, uh, I knew the name. I was introduced to him by a mutual friend, Lewis Wilson, who's under his name. He and Lewis Wilson worked together at Cal State Northridge. Lewis and I met in 1995. I met Lewis the first recruiting trip that I ever took to Las Vegas. He was at Southern Utah. I was at Eastern Washington. We've been great friends since. And when Stan Johnson got the job, I sent a test to Stan. I said, congratulations on the job. Had no idea who he was going to hire. I know when guys get that job, they have a lot of other guys that they're close to um, in the business. Uh, Coach Johnson well-liked, so I wasn't even anticipating anything called from him or anything like that. Um, but Lewis Wilson called me maybe like a week or two later and said, listen, Stan's looking for a assistant coach. Would you be interested? And I was so honored. And I was like, whoa, really? Stan is thinking about me through the business. And because my relationship in passing with, with, with Coach Johnson, my relationship with, with, with Lewis Wilson, we were able to connect. It's good people that connect with good people. And because of my relationship with Lewis Wilson for 25 years, I was able to uh, cultivate that, have a good relationship with him. And he's knowing Stan Johnson. You fast forward to 2020, Stan gets a job. He talks to his good friend, Lewis. Lewis recommends me because Lewis and I relationship were good. And they just kind of come back in full circle. You never know who, you, who you're really going to be in this business. So Stan offered me a position. Um, we talked. I obviously accepted the position. And then he hired the staff. And when you talk about relationships in this business, it's, it's huge. I know I keep repeating myself about not burning a bridge and always returning call, returning text, but you just never know uh, who's watching. And Alan Edwards was an assistant coach when I was a head coach at University of Nevada. I got to know Larry Shiat. He was a head coach at the time. And I remember talking to Larry and he would tell me about Alan and I had no idea who Alan was and he would tell me great things about him, how a great coach he was, great on the floor, great with kids. And so when Stan said he was going to hire Alan Edwards, it made me feel good that I was going to be around someone, another good person. I just spoke highly of him um, that I, I really respected. Greg came in from UCLA, and I have a friend, good friend there at UCLA with Rob Palmer. Rob Palmer and I grew up together. Rob Palmer played at Dominguez High School when I was at Crenshaw High School. Our relationship goes way back, and I remember Greg accepted the position, and Rod Palmer called me and said, oh, man, you got a great one there. These good people. You know, you're going to love me, work with him. I told him you were good people. I think you guys are going to be great to work great together. Again, I got Rob Palmer, who I grew up with, that's now in UCLA. Got Greg, who came in uh, from Cincinnati with Coach Cronin. And I didn't know Greg from Adam, and he didn't know me, but we have a, a friend like Rob Palmer who speaks highly of both of us. So that relationship grew there, and I was very proud to be working with him. Then Ricky Munch, is, he was at Milwaukee with the Milwaukee bus last year. Jawan Parker, when I had spent one year at the University of Georgia, I coached Jawan Parker for one year. 
Last year, he spent the year with the Milwaukee Bucks, and he got a chance to know Ricky. When I got the job and I told him I was at LMU, he texted me and said, oh, you got a good guy coming with you. His name is Ricky. I worked with, with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Great guy. And so you just never know how these things are tied together in your relationships. I'm just blessed to be with this staff. I think we got a great staff. Looking forward to work with those guys every day. And it's always good to have uh, people that you know in the business and trust that speak highly of the people that you're working with. And from there on, Go ahead, you can take that one off, Coach. And then, again, I just speak about this because sometimes, um, you know, as a head coach, you want to be kind of proud of guys you surround yourself with. Not every coach you're going to have uh, that's on your staff is going to be head coaches. But, I'm again, I mentioned Dennis Gates and Zach Claus, who are now head coaches. I have a good relationship with them. We talk often about, about the game or just about life, about kids. And, uh, again, I'm just proud of them and being able to uh, kind of be a mentor for them. Uh, both Zach Claus played for me when I was at Eastern Washington University. So Zach Claus and I go way back. Uh, Dennis Gates, I had not um, – I watched Dennis play when he was in high school in Chicago. I watched his career when he was at Cal Berkeley. And so we became good friends uh, after he got into the business. Uh, I hired him my first year. He worked for me for two years prior to going to Florida State. So I was really proud of those guys. Uh, and I worked with a lot of other guys uh, I'm not mentioning on here. I just mentioned these two guys because of their, uh, because they're head coaches today, and they both called me and said thank you for being a being a being a mentor uh, to me and getting me prepared to be a head coach. And so that's what we'll talk about next is preparing yourself to be a head coach. You know, um, you talk about not letting the game use you. you if you're a assistant coach or you're a coach and you want to play get to this level, what are you doing to become a head coach how are you getting prepared through that journey I had I learned from every coach that I worked under or worked for and I always took something from that coach if you get into the business you're a young guy you're recruiting you're recruiting you got to do more than recruit you got to build up relationships you got to learn how to teach on the floor you got to learn how to manage kids and when you're assistant you know the one thing that assistant means is you're assistant to that head coach so often uh, I hear assistant coaches say, man, the head coach, man, he's just not listening to me. Well, you know, to be honest with you, it's the other way around. He don't have to listen to you. <laughs> he's the head coach. You have to assist him. You have to do what is best for him and how he's – if you understand your coach, your head coach, you'll be a better recruiter. I'll give you a story, a true story with Trent Johnson. It's 2001. We're just building – trying to build a culture. And we were going, we went from the Big West to the WAC. And Coach Johnson said, There's, we need to change the culture. I want toughness. I want dudes with motors. I want an athlete. We got to change it. We have no toughness. We have, we have to prove our athleticism. And so I said, okay, that's my head coach. That's what he wants. And I went out and I recruited three guys. And we was recruiting for the four or five position big guys. I recruited three guys. One guy is very skilled. Not overly athletic, but, he, you know, he could score. The other one's pretty athletic, uh, didn't have a high motor. The third guy, high motor, athlete, not – couldn't put the ball in the basket. And so I went to watch the third guy play. He was at Juco in Texas. And the first time I saw him, the only thing I can't remember what the coach Johnson said, I want an athlete. I want a motor. I want someone who can rebound. I want really toughness. And I'm watching this kid, and I'm like – Wow, 
this is what Coach Johnson wants. If I was a head coach, I probably took my first the other guy that was more skilled, but not as athletic, but I'm not the head coach. It's about assisting the head coach. So I went back to Coach Johnson. I said, Coach, I found a guy for you. Coach said, what does he do? I said, Coach, he can't dribble, he can't shoot, he can't pass. He said, what does he do? I said, he rebound, he got motor, and he's tough. Put a tape in. We watched five minutes of warm-up. During the game, they had a fight in the warm-up line. During the warm-up line, this kid by the name of Corey Jackson, he's tossing guys away. He's breaking up the fight. He's in the middle of half court between both teams. And he's yelling at both, both teams to cut it out. We're going to have this, you know what, just back and forth. No one touched this guy. So I'm sitting there watching the tape with Coach, and I thought, dang, I didn't see this part of the tape. I, for some reason, when I watched the tape, it was just a game. I didn't see this part. So I'm sitting there with Coach Johnson. I'm a little nervous, but I'm like, oh, man. Coach gonna get a little mad. This dude's throwing dudes around. This dude's cussing. He's jumping up and down. He's punching guys. Coach turned the tape off and said, you know what? That's exactly what I want. Oh, shoot. Okay. Go get him. That guy had played two years at University of Nevada. He led the WAC in rebounding his senior year. He led, he has one of the records at the University of Nevada for the most rebounds in one game. I want to say it's 18. After he graduated, he had to spend another semester to get his degree, which he did, and he went out for the football team. And he didn't make the team. He was on special team, but he played in the NFL for three years. This is a guy that didn't play football, um, didn't touch the football since his high school, junior year in high school. Just the mindset, how tough he was, he changed everything for us. And so my point is, when you're, when you're a assistant coach and you – that's your job is to find out what your head coach wants. What, is, what, what does he want? Not what would you do if you was a head coach. A lot of times I think as assistant coaches, I think we get kind of caught in that sometimes because we may recruit a guy that's one of our guys, right? Uh, man, my guy's going to give us a good player, but the head coach wants a big guard, but I got it's a 5'9 guy, right? Oh, he's 5'9, but the coach wants 6'2. The 6'2 guy is pretty good, but we get to 5'9. Well, I'm not saying the five-nine guy isn't good enough, but you got to do what the head coach wants. And if he wants a big guard, you got to go and try to find that big guard. You're assisting the head coach. Another thing, being prepared for being a head assistant, being a head coach, being prepared to get a head coach, you got to learn. You got you to go to clinics. You got to go to camps. Um, there's so many different ways to learn. And don't get caught in your bots and, and just stay right where you are. Bridge, uh, Reach out to coaches. Talk to coaches about the game. The game's changed so much. Now it's become an international game. There's so many aspects of the game that you can learn. And so I would really encourage young guys to uh, go to camps, learn different drills, how to, how, how, you know, shooting drills, uh, ball handling drills, um, you know, anything, anything you can do to um, expand your mind, expand your game, you want to do that. Because that's going to help you in the long run. Another thing I would say as a assistant coach, your young guys want to get into business, want to be a head coach. As you're going through, you're working with different guys. Every guy I worked for, I told you I took a piece from, I took some idea from them. I started developing my philosophy when I worked for Steve Aggers in 1995. I built a philosophy offensively, defensively, what I would like to do, what, how would I play, what drills I like, what drills I don't like. Uh, and I took all those things. And I didn't become a head coach until 2009. But by the time I was sitting in that chair and got it 
approach to being the next head, the next head coach at University of Atlanta, I was ready because I had already built up my philosophy. I already understood what I wanted to do. I learned so much from all the coaches that I worked for. So build your philosophy. You know, I know you're your assistant coach. You don't have to do everything that that coach does. Maybe there's some things you don't want to do. Maybe you'll tweak one or two things, one or two things. So, you know, you take those things with you. Always remember, okay, when you go and you're in clinics, take notes. Because if you try to remember everything, you're not going to remember it. Write it down. So you want to do that. Stay humble in the game. You know, don't think you're bigger than the game. Like I said earlier, the game will humble you. And then to be prepared also, are you a recruiter? How well do you recruit? Can you relate to kids? The game's changed a lot. You know, you got social media. Social media didn't, there was no social media back in the early 90s uh, when I came in. It was most, you know, you had to write hand notes. You had to go to games, hand them off. You had to mail, no, uh, mail letters to prospects. So social media is big. And when you're on social media, be careful what you say on social media. Because whatever you say, it'll be out. You can't take it back. So be careful on social media and how you what you say on social media because you know you never know. You get your job ten years from now, someone can look back and see what you said on social media and use that against you. And we all know that perception is reality, right? So that perception of someone is their reality too. You know how you may not have any intention of saying the wrong thing, but it came out the wrong way. So be careful of that with the social media. And then if you get a chance to be able to speak in front of large groups or small groups, um, do those things. If, you, if your head coach invites you to speak at a YMCA boys club, a boys and girls club, anything like that, learn how to speak in front of people because that's what you're going to have to do. Um, build a relationship with your coworkers. A lot of times you don't, you don't know who's going to be the next head coach. So in the business, get to know the other assistant coaches and other staffs because those guys will be the next head coach somewhere. And so you want to build those relationships. I said earlier, don't want to burn relationships because you never know how that's going to come all the way back full circle and it could affect, your, could affect some of the things that you're trying to do to move forward. The last thing I want to talk about before I ask, open up the questions, are you a coach or your CEO? Are you a coach or are you a CEO? And I think today you have to be a coach with a CEO mentality. And what I mean by that, as a coach, the coaches, to be a coach, you can get a coach, is the ability to get a, get a team to become a one unit. So I'm a head coach, I can get that team to become one unit. A CEO is the ability to manage those individuals in that unit. Think about that. You can be a coach if you don't know how to manage those young men. And we all know with the, with the transfer portal and everything that's going on in, in today's climate, you better, be, you better learn how to manage those 13, 15 young men that you have in your program. It's not good enough just to coach that team anymore. And I think my I'm at 53 years old. I know when I was coming up, whatever the coach said, we really didn't have a voice. We just followed. Today's kids are a little bit different. So you have to have a coach, you have to coach with a CEO mentality, managing young men. And you can manage them, you get them together, they can still transfer. Kids transfer for any reasons today. You have kids that are starters on teams that go to the NCAA tournament and want to transfer. You're not going to stop everybody, but you want to be able to touch as many young men as you can. And you want to be able to understand those young men. You know, I think uh, sometimes uh, I have a 20-year-old son and I have to sit back and find myself. I have to stop myself and say, I got to listen to him. 
because sometimes these guys want to be heard. And if you don't listen, that's when they say you don't understand them. So try to get to understand the young men that you're coaching with, that you're coaching. Also, you want to be able to manage your staff. You want to be able to manage administration. That's preparing yourself to be a head coach. How can you manage people? Learning how to manage people is very important. The trainer, athletic, um, athletic trainer, you got your uh, conditioning coach, you got your academic person, you got your compliance. How do you manage all of those personalities? Or you have an open door policy. How you run your program. All those things are very important. And all those things are something you need to start thinking about when you're a assistant coach. How would you manage the team? How would you manage your staff? Who will run your offense? Who will run your defense? Who does the special teams? Who's in charge of academics and why? All those things are important, especially when you're trying to become a head coach. And I, I think today with the kids uh, transferring, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it's ever going to stop, but what you can't do is understand young men and do the best you can. And coach those guys as hard as you can. Uh, like I said, guys transfer for many reasons. Some of them don't make sense, and some of them do. I know when I played, when you transfer, the reason why you transferred, you wasn't planned. And it was given, like, you wasn't planned. It wasn't a good place for you. And you transfer. Everybody understood there. But it wasn't a lot of people transferring at the time. But now you just have a lot, so many.